Last week, we kicked off our Christmas season by reading from Isaiah 9. And it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The prophecy of the baby with four names. That's, that's where we were at last week. And this is a, a prophecy. This is what the Bible considers a prophecy. And we know now that this prophecy to be true about the person of Jesus Christ. We also understand the context and the time in which Isaiah had written this. A time when people lived in darkness and anguish. At the end of chapter 8, it says they, they lived in dreadful gloom. They looked to the world around them, yet they did not find any answers. War and death, personal distress had so plagued mankind, you have to wonder if there was any hope at all in the days of Isaiah. And so then I submit to you today, I don't think we live in times that are much different than what they did. Relationship unrest, civil unrest is still prevalent in our world, war, famine, Death, decay, disease is still very prevalent. And every, every day we read of more and more violence, more and more unrest, more and more relational strife, mental and emotional problems and securities. Our world is constantly at war with itself, and we, you and I, are constantly at war within ourselves. So if we were to stop and be honest with ourselves this Christmas season, I think that we would come to realize that the decisions we make on a day-to-day basis, the decisions we make, the stories we tell, even on our best day are simply an attempt to make the most of a bad situation. That's pretty much our life. The world is unraveling a little bit more each and every day. Death, decay, unrest is increasing with each passing moment. And so in the terms of peace then, look back to Isaiah, one who said the prince of peace would come. In terms of peace on earth and goodwill toward all mankind, we're not really sure where we're going. We've forgotten where we've been. And so it's in this reality that God speaks through Isaiah and he speaks to us still today. As telling us about the one who would be the prince of peace, the prince of peace. So God has revealed in his word that he will send a prince and that prince will establish peace. He will then maintain that peace And in fact, he himself will be our peace everlasting. So we're going to be in a little bit in Isaiah and a little bit of what John just read in Colossians. But the big idea is this this morning is that if you want to know peace, like personally know it, if you want to know peace, you must come to the Prince of Peace. You must come to the Prince of Peace. No doubt we're excited to celebrate Christmas and all the names that are given to God, given to that baby But many of us still probably doubt that a baby born in a poor town to a poor family is the one who's going to change our world back to the way it was. Some of us truly still doubt that. And some of you might object and say, John, I don't don't doubt that. I believe in Jesus. Right? But you see, with the way we live and our actions, we, we tend to doubt that the baby that God had sent is truly the Prince of Peace. And I say we doubt because I've witnessed the way that I act myself. It starts with me. I've witnessed the way you all act. I mean, there's like, you know, I'm not trying to. Just the way I wrote it, okay? I've witnessed the way the world acts. That's probably a better way to say it. Uh, That's why I start with myself. It makes it easier, okay? And I would say that if we were to examine the way we live, we actually think that peace 
whether all over the globe or within my own mind and my heart is something that I can personally establish within myself. That's the way we act. That's the way we live. Our everyday actions reveal our attempt. Our everyday actions reveal our attempt to create and then establish peace with one another by relying on what we do or what I need you to do by what we say, by what we don't say. You know, if we say things like, you know, if we all just stop fighting and bickering. I mean, it's that simple, isn't it? If we just smile at one another all the time. We say things like, you know, it'll work out, right? I mean, peace on earth, good will toward men. This is the season. Spread the joy. We tend to think that if all governments around the globe just got together for lunch and said, let's write this robust peace treaty, it'll all come to an end. If we all get busy supporting our local communities and loving our neighbors as much as we loved ourselves, there would certainly be peace in the world, right? It's just on us. We just have to go and do it. That's what we need to do. Our everyday actions reveal our attempt to establish peace by what we do, right? I mean, come on. We are the world. We are the children. Nine o'clock laughed a lot more. <laughs> we are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start giving. Now, it's a, it's a beautiful song. I'm not mocking the song. It's amazing. I watch it every Christmas because that's when it pops up. But then there's these phrases in the song. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. It's true. We make a better day, just you and me. I don't know if that's really what gets it done. It makes us smile, and that's the beauty of art. I like that. I don't know if that is what is going to establish peace and maintain lasting peace. And then that's sort of globally, right? Then you think about yourself individually. We long for peace within ourselves. I long for peace. And then we go by that, attempting to establish peace within our soul by filling our hearts and our minds with the things of this world. A vacation to the beach, maybe. Right? The unsalted coast, right? Maybe a, a vacation to the beach, a new car, a bigger home, another child, a new gadget, a more lofty degree, a higher paying job, whatever it may be. These are the things that we do thinking it will bring us peace, yet the way of peace we have not known in our soul. And all this leads to the truth, truthful phrase given by a man named David Wells, a philosopher and, a, and an author. He said, the human spirit is sagging beneath the burden of emptiness. It's a great picture right there. The human spirit is sagging beneath the burden of emptiness. There's a book in the middle of your Bible called Ecclesiastes, somewhere like mm, there. And in this book, we, we read about uh, someone called the preacher, and the preacher uh, is a man who, who surveyed everything under the sun to figure out the world's problems and to find its answers. And the whole entire book is actually quite depressing. So you should read it and then go give someone a Christmas gift or something because you're going to need that. But the whole book is a summary of what this man did to try to understand the world and why the world was the way it was and why it is the way it is. And in, in quoting this book, a pastor named Alistair Begg, he summarized the whole book like this. He said, uh, the author of Ecclesiastes discovered the wisdom of this world left him frustrated and restless. The work made him tired and angry. Amen. 
I love my job. I, I shouldn't be the one saying that. Uh, pleasure and pain, or pleasure caused him pain. And stuff just made him sick and sad. The author of Ecclesiastes lived the American dream long before there was in America and told us it was a dead-end street. Nobody wanted to believe it then, and nobody wants to believe it now. Well, then, if that is true, if what the preacher says in the book of Ecclesiastes is true, and by the way, we believe what that book says, then we come to the proverbial fork in the road, don't we? There's one of two directions we can take if we want to know peace and have lasting peace. We can say, hey, it's okay. We'll figure it out, right? We will figure it out. One day I know the people of the world will come together and it's going to be fine. We'll try something new. We'll come together and and sing songs and we'll come together for celebrations and we will get it figured out. We just need more time. That's one way. Or we can say, help. We need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. (laughs) Help. You know, we need someone. Help. Right? It's one of two ways. We can say we'll fix it, or we have to say, help. That's kind of the main point of the message this morning. It goes like this. Lasting peace, and I think that that word's important, lasting peace. Lasting peace comes from the one who has the power to reconcile us to God. That's where lasting peace comes from. Lasting peace within your soul, within your heart, within your mind, within our community, within our globe, comes from the one who has the power to reconcile us to God. And so we're not going to go through verse by verse what John had read to us, but I will highlight three words found in those verses. And so Colossians chapter 1, you can follow it behind me. But these three words reveal to us how God provides peace. Not just through the Prince of Peace, but then how the Prince of Peace goes about his work by providing lasting peace. Here's the first word, verse, uh, verse 21. It says, uh, the word is alienation, alienation. Verse 21 says, and you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So Paul writes to the church in Colossae. We can say it this way. And you and I, before God did work on our life, we were alienated. We were estranged. We were cut off. We were running from God. We were not known by him. We were his enemy. We were hostile in our mind. We were, we were not only hateful of just God himself, but we were hateful of any holy standard he had ever provided. So we hated him and we hated his stinking rules, right? Hostile in mind. Therefore, our lives were characterized by doing evil deeds. The Bible is so accurate about the human condition. I think that's one thing that nobody can say. Nah, that Bible's not talking about me. All throughout the Bible, it's just it's pinpoint accuracy. At least when I read it, I, that's where I go to. It's true of my soul and my mind. It's true of my soul and my mind because the Bible is continually telling us that we worship created things rather than the one who created all things. That's really the problem with worship is that we're so prone to worship created things made by human hands rather than God who created all things. So in the book of Romans, it says this, three verses in the book of Romans. For although they knew God, talking about people, you and me, we fit in that category. They did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and they were foolish and their hearts were darkened. 
claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creepy things. Talking about idol worship there. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And then they worshiped and served the creature rather than than the creator. I mean, this is a synopsis of um, putting all of our hopes and dreams in things that are created. That's what it's telling us. We gave everything of ourselves to things that are only temporary, like the preacher says, under the sun. That's it. Church, you need to know that the only place you will hear this being spoke is not because I'm so great at doing it, but it's because this truth is only found in the Bible, which is hard for us to understand, which some of us doubt and some of us object to. That's okay. But the only place you will ever find in this world saying that you are alienated from God and that you need help, somebody help, not just anybody help, is in the Bible. And the only way you'll hear that is through the faithful preaching and teaching of what the Bible says. Nowhere in the world will you be told you are alienated and hostile in mind. Okay? You're not going to be told that. In fact, most churches have altogether just ditched that message. You're more likely to be told you are a God, lowercase g, okay? Or you can become a God. You're more likely told that deep down you're really just a great person and all belief systems and all religious actions, they're equally valid and true. In fact, the new mantra of our day, maybe you've heard this, is live your truth. Just live your truth. Just do you. That's actually was my generation. Just do you, right? They made it a little, a little bit more sophisticated. So we're encouraged to just do what makes us happy. In all love and sincerity, I would say that's really bad advice. Because, you know, there are times and days that I want to do things that wouldn't make others very happy. So who's to say I should be doing those things? In fact, I would say the situations in where we find ourselves in our deepest valleys, at our darkest moments in our life, are the direct result of doing what we wanted to do. Sin has a way of finding itself out. The deepest valleys we travel and live in are the result of a life which then glorifies the hostile mind and the evil deed rather than glorifying the creator. But the good news of Christmas, of course, is that to us a son is given, to us a child is born, and he shall be called Prince of Peace. Just when you thought God was the, you know, right, the man upstairs tormenting us little humans down here with his magnifying glass, right? Just when you thought that was him, he enters into our humanity. The baby with four names, born in a poor town to a poor couple, vulnerable, as anybody has ever been vulnerable as a small child. He enters into our humanity to be our peace. So if you've had enough, if you desire to live within the peace within your soul, you desire to live maybe peace with others, all of us have relational unrest. It's just a thing. And it's always the other person though, right? Amen. It's never our fault. Your first step then is to recognize that you are alienated from God and that is the source of the valley that you're in. It's your alienation from God. You're separated from him. You're cut off from him. You must recognize you are estranged from the presence of God because then and only then can you truly then embrace the gift that he offers, the gift that we celebrate on Christmas. So we're alienated from God. That's 
kind of the foundation. That's the truth. And then it goes to the next word. Look at verse 19. For in him, that's Jesus, for in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's why we say God is truly God and truly man. It's quite a mystery. The Bible is riddled with this truth. Jesus was fully God, fully man, truly God, truly man. He was the God man. God in the flesh, God incarnate. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we all start alienated, right? And the Christmas season is the good news that we don't have to live alienated anymore because the son is given and that son's gonna be the prince of peace. So what do I do with my alienation? Well, you go to reconciliation is what you go to. That's the next step. The word reconciliation is, I need you to know, this is one of these most significant and descriptive words in your Bible. It's a beautiful word. Reconciliation, uh, like to change or exchange, specifically like in a relationship kind of status. Does that make sense? Or you're at odds with someone, you hate that person, they hate you, it's out in the open. There's no reconciliation, right? There's only separation. We, we all live this. We've all experienced this. But what happens when you seek forgiveness and you make up? And what, what happens when you humble yourself and say, hey, I, this isn't right. This is, you're my friend, right? You're my, you're my partner. You're my spouse. Whatever it is, right? Like we say, I don't want to live like this anymore. We're separated. This is horrible. Then we go to reconciliation. When people change from being at odds with one another to living within a restored relationship with one another, the barriers of anger are broken down. Anger is erased Peace is present because reconciliation has taken place. What? There is no better moment in life than actually you've reconciled with a close loved one or friend. The following five minutes after you've done that, you're like in heaven, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. We desire reconciliation, which is why, (laughs) yeah, check this out, which is why, by the way, you still go to all your Christmas celebrations even though you don't like your family. Gotcha. Why? Because it's the Christmas season where we long to be reconciled. Even when they annoy us, we'll go thinking we're gonna, it's going to be the best ever. And then the usual stuff happens. That person says the weird thing and they look at you funny, and, right? But why do we put ourselves in those situations? Because we all desire to be reconciled to one another. It's a deep longing within our soul to be reconciled. I mean, I think the joy of Christmas is present, not because of the amazing gifts my wife is about to buy me, okay? I've given her my list. She knows. They're all books, okay? It's not necessarily that we give or get. I think it's because everybody is willing to what? Come together. That's where the joy is in the celebration. It's really any holiday, isn't it? It's coming together with people. I just had like 23 people. I'm a blended family, so I got my in-laws, who are the best, by the way. And then... I have my blended family, so my mom and stepdad and all my brothers and sisters. And all, I had 23 people in my house yesterday, and it was an amazing joy. It happens one time a year where we're all together. That's where the joy is. Peace is present because reconciliation has taken place. That's where we need to move to, from alienation to reconciliation. So that, that's why we're told Jesus has, by his sacrifice on the cross in verse 19... That's why his sacrifice on the cross has removed God's anger towards the hostile sinner, towards the alienated sinner. He has removed the barrier between God and you, and he's made it possible for you to be at peace with him. That's what the cross does. 
The cross is in the center of humanity, and you need to know that. It is the most defining act of all, all time. God has removed the barrier between himself and the sinner. He's made it possible for the sinner to come be at peace with him, just as it was in the garden. Like we once lived, reconciled, walking in relationship with God. So no matter how dark life gets, did you know this? No matter how dark life gets, please remember this is not the way life was designed to be. Okay? A lot of times we get lost in this is just the way the world is. Well, you're right in one sense, but in another sense, you also need to know that this was not the way it was supposed to be. Because we were created to reflect the image of God like a mirror to the world. Right? We're created to reflect his image, and we can't do that if we're separated from him. But Christmas says he's made it possible to live in his presence, to be reconciled to him, and reflect his image once again. That's what Christmas says. So Paul, the author of this letter in Colossians, he wrote it to this church, he's helping us actually make sense of Isaiah 9. That's what he's doing. So Jesus, he says, is, he's the prince of peace who is able to accomplish this reconciling work that we so long for in our soul because God had sent a son. God came in the flesh. He is the prince, the one who all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He then becomes our substitute because those who are hostile in mind and evil in deed will face the punishment of God. Yet Jesus says, yeah, I know you deserve that, but I actually, I'll take that one for you. I'll take that one for you on the cross. He's born in the likeness of men, so he that can die for mankind. That's the idea. That's why God comes in the flesh, to live like we have lived, yet live the life we never could have lived, and then to eventually die the death that we all deserve. That's why he comes in the flesh. He, he bears my sin in his body on that tree. That's what he does. That's the gospel. He shoulders our judgment. He takes the full weight of the, 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 the wrath that's aimed for us, and his death pays, secures, maybe is a better word, your reconciliation. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, Jesus... He was like a sheep before its shears is silent. He opened out his mouth. When the accusations came, he didn't say anything. Isaiah says he was pierced for our transgressions, for your sins, right? He was hurt because of what we've done. He was crushed for your sins, your iniquities, my sins, my iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us what? Peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. There is no more healing act to bring priests around the world that we can do together. We can do nothing. You will never organize the best peace corps on the planet. It won't happen. This is where we find peace in the wounds of Jesus. So the Prince of Peace reverses our alienation, so we're once received again. The Prince of Peace secures our reconciliation. We're reconciled to God. And then finally, the Prince of Peace offers transformation. He offers transformation. Verse 20. Paul continues, he says, and through him to reconcile himself all things, all things, okay? Just know, all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. The prince of peace, Jesus, the baby as prophesied in Isaiah 9, is the one who will transform all things. He will make all things new. And so there's going to be, when the boot of the warrior and the garment that was worn in battle is just going to be fuel for the fire because we need to be warm. Armor will no longer be needed. Because the world will no longer be at war. Warriors can 
Put away your swords. Use them for plows. Plant crops. Because when he transforms the world, he brings ultimate, lasting peace. The Prince of Peace will reign forever, and his peace will be everlasting. Now, here's what I was talking about earlier. Chapter 11 in Isaiah. So here's the global peace that he enacts. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Like right now, that sounds like bad news for one and good news for the other, doesn't it? It's not good right now. We don't want that now. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together. And check who would lead them, a little child. Those animals don't want to devour that little child. Not when all things are made new again. You see, death and decay and unrest and opposition will be gone. Everything that haunts and plagues our world today will be gone. What Isaiah is revealing is that he says one day the Prince of Peace will come and just put it all back together again the way it was. We're all broken people, okay? Even on your best day, we're broken people. So this is a really good message. Christmas is a great season to be reminded of this fact that transformation is possible. It's available for you and for me. We were all once dead in our alienation and hostile towards God. But the Bible says being rich in mercy, because God is so merciful to us, not giving us what we actually deserve, right? That's mercy. When you have mercy on someone, you're actually you're withholding something they deserve. Okay, that's mercy. He's so rich in mercy because of the great love in which he has loved us. He's made it possible for you and I and everyone in the whole world to be saved from our alienation. He has made it possible to be reconciled with him once again. And he's made it possible to be transformed into a holy people. That's the last verse. Look at verse 22. This is where I begin my descent. Okay, verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. We've known that. That's the cross. Why? Why do you do that? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Three key words in your life of transformation. These key words are for you. They're for me. True reconciliation with God results in transformation, just so you're aware. Now, this is hard. And I say this in all sincerity and love. This is real love. That if there is no transforming power in your life, then are you truly reconciled? See, the transforming work should be evident. Now, here's, here's my disclaimer, and this is why everyone's welcome and no one is perfect in this place, because some of us take really tiny steps in transformation. <laughs> some of us take really large steps, right? But we're all on this journey at different paths. But let me tell you, just look for the transformation in your lives. And if it's not there, you've got to wonder if you're reconciled to God because only through reconciliation does transformation come. So three ways it says we'll be transformed. One is holy first. The Prince of Peace will present you as holy before God. Now that's kind of a lofty term. We've heard that word before. This is really, really important for your life. Jesus will separate us from our sin. And he will set us apart as the sons and daughters of God. So God made him Jesus, who knew no sin, the only perfect person to ever live, who lived the life that you and I could never live, and then died the death that we actually deserved, secures this for us. Okay? 
The Bible says Jesus, who knew no sin, God made him to be sin on our behalf. I want you to picture the cross, and I want you to, I want you to picture the entire wrath of Almighty God being poured out in his son, right on top of him, didn't miss with nothing. And he does that so that you could be presented before him as holy, so you could be set apart, so you could be perfect. So what does this mean? We move from hostile to holy. We move from death to life. We're spared from conscious eternal torment and hell, which is what I believe the Bible explicitly teaches. That is the judgment of God. Here's the best part. Here's what I think the best part is, and here's where I think it hits our life today. What does it mean to be holy? Because some of us deal with a lot of insecurities, right? We go to bed worried. We wake up worried. We don't know what we're doing half the time, right? Can I get an amen? Thank you. My goodness. Okay. Because I almost wanted to write myself into the story, but that's rude. Okay, so I don't know what I'm doing half the time, but here's what I always need to remember. That the way God sees me today is the way he's going to see me in heaven. That's holy. There's no difference. Because we live most of our lives thinking we need to earn God's love. That's actually what we do. That's a sin, by the way, people. You're not more devout. (laughs) You're wrong. We do not live our lives attempting to earn God's love. So when God says, I have removed the alienation, I have reconciled you, you're instantly, legally, before God, holy, set apart. Just as he sees Jesus, he sees you right now as you sit here today. That's powerful. That will change the way you live slowly, but it will change the way you live because your identity will not be in that boy or that girl or that job or that house or that car or that shirt. It won't be in that vacation. It certainly won't be in the whether people say good things about you or bad things about you. You will say, I got peace on my pillow. I'm a child of God. That's what you'll say. That's what changes. Number two, second, he doesn't make you just holy. The Prince of Peace cleanses us from our sin. This is the transforming work. He makes us, the, the, the word I believe in the, in the verse is blameless, okay? You're holy and you're blameless. Blameless before God. We, my word, we once stood before God condemned, right? Condemned. Guilty, lawless sinners. Listen, the reason we're sinners, just so you're aware, is because we've broken God's law. That's essentially what the Bible teaches. We've broken God's laws. We can't keep the laws. We never could. But to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, right? Here's the beauty of Jesus. There was no form or majesty that anybody would ever look on that boy and go, son of God, let's get him. There was nothing there. He looked like you and he looked like me. But as he grew, he, he increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and with man. And then the blood he shed on the cross There is a fountain filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins. And beneath that fountain, I am cleansed. You know what that says? Here's what it is. Most times we talk about sin as the things we do, right? So I want to be forgiven of these things that I've done, thought, in word and in deed. I just want to be forgiven of those things. They were dark. I was wrong. We all have that, right? So we all have that. Here's what we're also cleansed from, just so you know, the things that have been done to us. That's powerful. Because some of us are here thinking we're dirty because some evil person did something bad to us. And you've lived with that, and you have never put it down. It defines you. Now, certainly, that's a process to work through. I'm not saying it's instant. Certainly, okay? I'm not being quib with this, okay? I'm just saying 
When the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you, God doesn't see you as that one person he was abused. So you're not really fully holy. You're just a little bit because you're kind of dirty. That doesn't exist. That's gone. So you stand before God blameless of any unrighteousness. Any unrighteousness. Third, the Prince of Peace removes the power of Satan to make an accusation stick to you. That's the third one. The Prince of Peace removes the power of Satan to make an accusation stick to you, above reproach. That's the term, above reproach. If being presented before God as holy is not enough and cleaned up from all your sin is not enough, we want more. I'll give you more. The verse says we will be presented as above reproach, right? So here's what the Prince of Peace does. He not only cleanses you, but he also makes it so Satan and his demons, and the Bible says the the great deceiver, the one who decides to devour like a lion, he makes it so that Satan throws that accusation about your old life that you're so guilty of, that doesn't even stick anymore. You can walk away and go, good try. Been there. I used to be sad about that. No more. Right? Those neighborhoods we can't drive through anymore because we remember what we did. And I can drive through them now. Singing. You're not condemned before God. The old nature is gone. The new has come. No longer trapped in darkness, but you're free to walk in his light. Here's a verse that's also found in the Bible. He says, he casts your far as, as far as the east is from the west. So as far as you can travel east and as far as you can travel west, keep going. That's you and that's your sin way over there. This changes the shame we live with, just so you know. This changes the shame. And just so you're aware, the minute you decide to follow Jesus and go, I'm waking up Monday, I'm going to walk in the light. That'll change Monday afternoon. But at least you get there on Monday morning, right? And you're going to walk in the light. You know what's going to happen first? Satan's going to go, John, do you remember? You think God is going to love you? You're spent, bro, dirty. How dare you come before God? I'm above reproach, Satan. You can get on with that. That's the transforming power of your life. That'll change the way you think. That'll change the way you live. That the God of all creation looks down on you and sees perfection. I give you the permission to stop trying to add up, just so you're aware. Stop trying to measure up. In a world of unrest and brokenness, here's what I, you know, the Christmas season is great. But listen, in a world of unrest and brokenness, what we do not need is another man-made religious system. That comes from within us, right? We can figure it out. Give us more time. We'll create something new. Just give us more time. Paul's already explained that our minds are hostile and evil. So in what universe does the evil and hostile mind create all of a sudden lasting peace? Doesn't make sense. What we need in the world of unrest and brokenness is for someone to come from the outside of us. From the outside of sin. From the outside of unrighteousness. We need the Prince of Peace. We need help from somebody. Not just anybody. Because you know we need someone. Some of you don't know that song, and you're sinful. (laughs) Jesus says the Prince of Peace. All right, so Jesus is the Prince of Peace who dies for his enemies and prays for their forgiveness. That's the Prince of Peace. So let me finish two ways. Let's do the fork in the road again, right? Because we're at this fork in the road, every one of us, every day. And the world as a whole, right? 
The Christian message, if it's true, that instead of finding God, Christmas says God came to find you. If that's true, and that is true, by the way, we never would have measured up anyway, so stop trying. God came into our humanity, and he'd come on a rescue mission for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. Then we got one or two choices. Number one, we can go back to the fork in the road. I can fix it myself. Great message. Not there yet. Hmm. Sure, it's nice, but it's cool. Besides that, I'm not digging it. We need more time. We need to talk more. We need to transform ourselves more. We need to be in the community more. We need to love our neighbor more. All true. Uh, nations need to come together and write a priest treaty. All true. We need to stop being mean to those people over there. All true. If you're still here and saying you can fix it yourself, I need you to know that's going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. We're never going to fix it. Or the second one, help. I need somebody. If you want to know peace, you must come to the Prince of Peace. If you want to know peace and be a peacemaker in the world, which I believe we generally want to be, If you want to know peace and be a peacemaker in a dark and dying world, you must turn from your life of hostility and evil and embrace the life of holiness that follows the light in Jesus Christ. Some of us maybe are still here going, "Ah, it's a little weird. It's just a baby. (laughs) You guys use it to give gifts. Really, this Jesus, this baby who we celebrate, he's the prince of peace? The baby born to uh, uh, arguably an illiterate part of the world? An archaic time? To poor teenage couple who probably didn't want to say the truth, so they just made up a story. (laughs) They didn't want to get grounded. A baby who grew up to be a man who was crucified by the Romans for being a criminal? A man who was crucified on a hill outside of Jerusalem. That old story. That's what you're telling me, John. He is the Prince of Peace. Yes. That's what I'm telling you. And so you can take it and be transformed by it. Or you can reject it and go and fix it yourself. One or two choices. All of the world, every person has one of those two choices. If you want to know peace, you must come to the Prince of Peace. Here's the very last thing I'll say, and then I'll pray. I need you to know that if you want to come to the Prince of Peace, what a welcome you will receive. Believe me. 